You're listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and I invite you to be curious about your unique experience of being human. In this podcast, we'll explore the deeper meaning of ordinary life experiences through conversation, stories, and education. You might have a serious aha moment, or you might just be amused by the movie your life seems to be imitating, or you might just be entertained by one of my awkward stories. I'm hoping you'll become more aware of those moments when a deeper part of you is prompting you to see things differently and maybe even go a new direction. So let's get started. In this episode, I have a conversation with my son, William, who is turning 23 in September and will be graduating from Colorado State with a degree in computer science. He's hoping to get a job working for an organization that is passionate about the environment. William is a super interesting Gen Z young man, not just because he's my son, but because of his journey, his temptation to turn to the dark side, as I call it, his hunger for knowledge and his growing capacity to reflect about his relationship with himself and how he fits into the collective of humanity. His strong opinions remind me of me in my 20s, which makes me cringe, but honestly, he's way ahead of where I was back then when it comes to being aware of larger collective forces that are wreaking havoc right now. The dismantling that's happening that's trying to drive something new out of the collective unconscious before it's too late. William is part of a generation that has absorbed the impact of collective dysfunction and is resisting participating in systems that are peaking in their exploitation. Many in this generation also carry the burden of collective anxiety because what must be created to replace the systems that seem to be dismantling doesn't exist. And at the same time, they must weather the scolding and disdain by their older generations. Fuck them, I say. I've written about this, and I'll include a link in the description box to a blog post and podcast episode titled, What is Generation Z Mirroring Back to Us? I love Generation Z, especially Gen Z men, which makes sense because my generation, Generation X, was a lighter version of the same rebellion against exploitive systems, systems that are now so desperate to survive, they're pulling us back into the dark ages. Anyway, William and I have deep and feisty conversations at least once per week. Sometimes they're so heated, one of us has to say, I love you, but I can't continue this conversation. Love you, bye. Then we do a little texting back and forth and sign off with one final, I love you. We found a groove to managing our intensity. And over time, what happens beautifully captures C.G. Jung's concept of the transcendent third. I used to say to my children when they were younger that the only way we get through our family difficulties is by talking and then talking some more. My conversations with William are like that for both of us. Our capacity to hold the tension between our views, which have common core values, eventually leads to new insights and more nuanced understanding for both of us of the topics we discuss. Just the other day, I finally understood what William meant when he said, there's no meaning in life. Yikes, that always made me cringe. But when I understood that, what he really meant was that we decide for ourselves what lives mean, our lives mean. Then suddenly we're on the same page. It's so beautiful. It makes me want to cry. I'm a mother after all. All I wanted was to be a good enough mom. And now I have two young adult children who are kind human beings and both advocates for marginalized groups, including the planet. So let's get started. Hey, William. Hi, mom. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. So, hey, what's up today? What's Not funny? Much. What's funny today? What's interesting today? Uh, I don't know, actually. I haven't been doing much today. I just got up. So 
uh, I don't have any news for you yet. <laughs> okay. I know later on you'll send me a text with something interesting. Most likely. <laughs> right. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. I'm, I'm boring. I don't do anything. I'm not like, just like, I'm not just like, I, I literally don't have anything going on. So <laughs> I, 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 I took a bike ride. That's crazy. Oh, tell me about your biking lately. <laughs> I you love, can... I love the videos you send me about it. Yeah. And the pictures. Well, I had my bike sitting in my trunk for a year. I never took it out of my car. You know me. Um, I folded my back seats down, put my bike in there when I uh, picked it up from Grandpa John's. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that was more than a year ago. And then what made you get it out and get it? Get it what? Didn't you have to get a new tire or something? Or Yeah. Well, I keep I like I had this weird thought where I'm 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 like cars to me like kind of stress me out i have like mechanical sympathy i don't know if you know what that means mm -mm. But, but like it's like you feel bad for machines like not mm. like literally but mm -hmm. it's like it's like it makes you cringe when you like like a car running without oil like it's like like gears grinding on each other like shifting like it's kind of it's like a bad feeling it's called mechanical sympathy um what I forgot. What did I start with? No. I'm, what I'm, what I'm, prompted you? What prompted no, I'm you? I'm coming back around to my okay. point. To the bike. What was what was? Oh, the bike. Yeah. Yeah. And so, my car. I'm like, there's this extra like, ten, fifteen pounds that I'm just carrying around. And if you do the math, like, thousands of miles carrying like fifteen extra pounds is like probably extra gallons of gas. And I'm like, why is this just sitting in my car? And so I finally took it out. And then I'm like, well, I might as well ride it. And then I put it back together got a new tire all that and fort collins is also a like the best uh town in the country to bike and i'm pretty sure is that so, right i think so i remember hearing that when i first moved here and it makes sense biking around because you can go i went like 20 miles and you never cross a street it's all tunnels under um streets or through like the city parks so there's no roads anyway but it's uh it's great, but I like biking. I, I always had a lot of fun. Like in middle school, biking around with all your friends is such a good time. Mm -hmm. Like that was our like, our, our go-to was like bikes. And then when we all got cars, that kind of went away. And it like, you don't really think about it again. But like riding around on my bike is a lot of fun. Kind of brings your inner kid out. And you but, also love snowboarding. Yeah, of course. But yeah. it's 95 degrees right now. So that's a little hard to do. Right? Wrong, <laughs> wrong season for snowboarding. So... So, all right, this is this is a great start. I love it. So for my listeners, uh, William and I have lots of chats. They're always spontaneous. And so we thought we'd try having a spontaneous chat with a little bit of structure. And uh, I reflected about sort of the main topics that always come up for us and um, and also some, you know, just reflections about how, our conversations have changed and evolved over over the years, actually. So I um I think this is one thing that kind of sums you up perfectly. So remember in our house in Mequon that show called Planet Earth? Yeah. And do you remember how addicted we all were as a family to that show? Like it was just something that really resonated with all of us as a family. And um and then I also remember, I think you were like in third grade and you came home 
and you were a little proud of yourself and frustrated because there was something that your teacher said that was not correct based on your, you know, your own research on the side. <laughs> and you said, mom, I corrected my teacher today. And I, and I said, Ooh, how did that go? And, you know, she didn't really appreciate it. She could have really, you know, patted you on the back for having the initiative and, and, you know, being impressed by your love of knowledge. But then you said this other thing, you said, mom, I think I learn more watching National Geographic than I do for my teachers. So I feel like that kind of sums up maybe like what's different about uh, you and your generation and access to knowledge. And, and so I thought you could just talk a little bit about education, either your experience, um, your observations, and now you're about to finish college and, you know, just go anywhere you want with that, whatever comes up for you. Yeah, I love Planet Earth. That's the one I just had to Google. It was David Attenborough was the, the the British, the BBC guy with the most amazing presenting voice ever. I think he's still around, actually. Mm. He's like 100 years old, but he's been doing those since like the 60s or whenever. Yeah. A long time. But yes. yeah, I think that's a great point because one thing I've always, one thing I can never get out of my mind is that school in terms of the academic structure and how they, the way they believe kids learn best is, hasn't changed in like 2000 years longer. If you go back to like, I mean, if it's devolved, actually, if you go back to like the antiquity, like classical Greek period, you had pupils with tutors, you had one a uh, very knowledgeable person in many subjects who would tutor a small group of students um, and I'm just speaking in in generalities. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're. I'm sure that was the wealthy people for like the very most part. But anyways, even like just the idea of having a tutor and pupils um, has devolved into now having. It's just gotten bigger and bigger. Uh, ideally, I mean a lot or like mass ideally. production, yeah, like a it, manufacturing style. Yeah, and like the basic idea is still there: a teacher and students. But I feel like it's devolved nowadays when, um, and, and not just devolved, like the idea of testing has stayed the same and all that. But in the last 10, 15 years, the internet has become a thing. And not even just like, I mean, even before, like National Geographic and Planet Earth, that stuff was much more accessible than it was 20 years ago, just because you could record it and watch it on demand or whatever. But Nowadays, you can watch any of that anytime, get any information whenever you want, but they still treat school the same as if it was uh, the 1800s. I mean, you mm -hmm. go back to the schoolhouses in like, uh, like 1850s America, and they have a, a teacher writing stuff on the chalkboard, and they have the students watching and copying it down, and then they give them a quiz. And that's exactly how they do it today, when the way we learn is completely unrelated to how it was back then. I got most of my knowledge from outside of school, and I was taught how to use it in school. And I, I just, I, I think it's an important point, because it, it really, we have s such access to all this knowledge, but we're told not to do it, and it's actually bad to do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that is something that affected me a lot because yeah. I it made me hate school because they instead of letting me be curious, they 
told me, no, don't be curious. That's bad to be curious. You should only be curious about what we tell you to be curious about. Um, and that, you know, that made me hate school. I was never a bad student, but it kept me from ever becoming a four, like having a 4.0 because I didn't want to learn about what they wanted to teach me about. And then they didn't give me any options to learn about anything else. And it's like, yeah, I get, you get the math, you get the basic stuff, but yeah. And one of the things that I just always impresses me about you is that you're just always learning. You're learning stuff that you're not learning in college. Like you are, you are just always seeking out knowledge. Um, why don't you share, like, what are, what are the, some of the topics that you're always like, it either comes across you in your YouTube feed or are you searching out specific things? Cause I know you're really interested in geography and like changing migration patterns and languages and like, do you like, how do you think to go get knowledge on those particular topics? How does that happen? Um, it's really just curiosity. It's just, um, I'm really interested in history and like human history to be specific, like, uh, from like the classical period, like bronze age collapse through like the classical period to modern day. So like the last three, 4,000 years, I'm very interested in that. And I'm a computer scientist. So I, I don't mm -hmm. really fault the school system for not teaching me something that's completely unrelated to my degree. I just happen to be interested in it tangentially. And, you know, I was able to take a pre-modern Western civilization class, um, which I really enjoyed. But I, I don't really I don't think it really is anything about school. I think I'm just really curious about that topic. And I mean, to be honest, it's it's not really useful outside of postulating and, you know, you know, sitting on a bar stool and and thinking, you know, you can't really do anything with history. Um, it's not to say that it isn't really important, but I think that's that's kind of an anomaly there. It's hard to like relate back to my experience as a kid because I didn't really care about that stuff when I was younger, whereas right. I feel like when you have a, a brain that's older you tend to be curious uh for me uh, um personally i got more curious about like mundane things mm -hmm. like when i was 12 i never would have given a shit about uh anything in the middle period or the mm -hmm. middle ages but now it's fascinating to me mm -hmm. um Sorry, so, I'm, I'm no, 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 that's perfect. My so, train. What was the question so, again? No, 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 you answered it, but the one thing I'm thinking about that um sort of did intersect in your earlier education and your curiosity is right now I have this image. You remember being on vacation, you were like four years old and there was a little tree frog. Like there's that picture of you, the tree frog is on your I chest. know the I know the picture. Yeah. yeah, you probably don't remember that, but you know, you always had a really really uh interesting relationship with nature and and bugs and animals and you could walk butterflies would land on you and that sort of thing and then i remember after you graduated from high school you're like you know what my number one favorite topic was environmental science so it made it made sense it still and then is, honestly. yeah but i but i feel like there were a couple of years where you weren't really that in tune with nature but then it kind of returned and, you know, intuitively you ended up out at Colorado state, which is a place that sort of really values relationship with, with place and, you know, and yes, you're in computer science, but you also are interested in work in applying that to the topic of, you know, saving the planet and environment. So it's kind of like a, 
meandering way for a couple of things that connected something that you were passionate about and you had a natural interested and then connected to maybe it was like two classes in high school that you really, really were excited about. And then, right. Yeah. It was one class. And you're like, that's my favorite class of my entire education. I still remember (laughs) the teacher. Um, it was, um, it was the environmental science class. I think it was Mr. Franz Meyer was his Mm. name. Just this, uh, I mean, he looked exactly how you'd imagine him. Bigger guy, <laughs> bushy beard, long flowing gray hair. He'd wear like a plaid button up shirt and like a, a tree hugger. Pants. Yeah. And he'd every Wednesday, he'd wear a different wolf shirt and he'd call it wolf shirt Wednesday. And, oh, I love it. Uh, everyone in this high school loved him. I mean, he was like, he was the guy like he would, he was the kind of teacher where he, I, it's really hard to explain. Um, I mean, honestly, it isn't. Um, he was a great teacher. He was a good person. That's really all it takes to teach kids is a good person. It doesn't really matter uh, how knowledgeable in the subject you are. If you can relay someone else's knowledge in a way that students are able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, a student shouldn't or a teacher should know what they're talking about. But it's we need so many teachers that it's crazy to expect them all to be experts. And it's just enough for them to be able to relay the information of other experts. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel he was an expert himself, but he was also really good at just going. He wasn't afraid to just go. Here's a documentary. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what's wrong with a lot of teachers out of principle just wouldn't do that because they felt as though the students were winning, you know, because they got Ooh. to watch a movie. And and my environmental science professor or, or the professor, he was a high school teacher. He understood that if I throw on an, a David Attenborough documentary about coral bleaching and ocean acidification, this man's beautiful voice is going to uh, make them pay attention more than mine is. And so mm. he wasn't afraid of doing that. He's like, he's go sit in the corner and then just go through his emails while we watch, uh, uh, well, we learn and watch a documentary. Mm. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think it's, that's how teachers should be teaching, right? He was malleable to what the students were like. And that was, I don't know if you remember a lot of the students on my uh, snowboard team were like, I mean, they were all like weed smoking, like uh, hooligans, like mm-hmm. messing yeah. around in class, like doing stupid shit, vaping in the bathroom. And he would um, obviously vaping is illegal. And he, he was not, you know, he, he probably knew what was going on um, in the bathroom every teacher day. It was a really weird time. Um, that was like when it all started. So that's kind of a, a weird thing. But he would let like i remember there's a couple kids who go to the bathroom like four times instead of getting mad and like punishing them he he would just let it happen and no one failed his class and and i'm like Hmm. other teachers would be like so instead of them becoming vindictive and spiteful they began to respect him and stop doing that because they Hmm. were embarrassed of it because they respected him as a person. And so I personally, I remember I would like just leave the class just to go fuck around and you know, just because I didn't want to be there. And eventually I would stop doing that because I felt bad. Ooh, like it's it's it almost made me feel bad the way to think he thought that I was slacking and I didn't want him to think that. And that's the only teacher that ever made me feel like that. Right. So there so the respect he showed you sort of allowed you the opportunity to correct your own behavior. 
instead yeah, but- of instead of him like micromanaging you and yeah. and scolding you, you actually got to choose. It's like when your enemy's making a mistake, don't interrupt yeah. him. We were his enemy, oh. and, and he let us make a mistake, and we ended up becoming his ally. <laughs> oh, oh, jeez, oh, William, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> I don't the, know about okay, that. One of those brilliant moments. But okay, so let's move on. Another topic we talk a lot about um, is uh, I hate to lump this all in one, so you just go wherever you want with it, but. You know the the let's just say marginalized groups in in general, but you know women, the relationships between women and men, and and gender and LGBTQ and uh, all of that. And one thing in particular I'm thinking about is um, you have been really great about self reflecting about how your own views have changed, and for you to only be you know, turning 23 and yet to be aware of how your own views sort of changed. There was a time and, and, and where I'm going with this is that there are a lot of Gen Z men who I would say are kind of at risk to be exploited by dark forces. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And not even just men like children. Absolutely. So I wonder if you could touch on, you know, I talk about it as there was a time that you know, and you even said, I almost kind of went to that dark side where I embraced being a victim and kind of like, you know, started, you know, you know, believing stereotypes and having a little bit of like intolerance. And then something made you turn that corner and become the biggest fighter for, for marginalized groups, which meant that you had to come into better relationship with yourself to not see yourself as a victim anymore. So I wonder, you know, what you think about all that and young men in particular. Yeah, I I think it's really important, especially the whole victim thing, this idea of that anyone else is making anyone feel it. Like my ill will or I I didn't have any malice or ill will towards Mm -mm. any anyone ever. I've never been a mean person. I've never wanted to hurt anyone or see anyone get hurt. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I didn't used to be an asshole. Um, just mm-hmm. a piece of shit who is just like looking for reactions and every class clown young man has that moment where they want attention and they do things to get it and that's another story um, but I want to focus on when I was in high school or not even middle school really and early in high school um, people were saying slurs like the f word for gay people they were uh, saying the r word for uh, neurodivergent people, they, you name it, you know, people were horrible. And it was, it was coming from this, for me, looking back on it, it was always coming from a place of insecurity. If I ever made fun of someone for, and here's the thing, we never made fun of anyone for actually being gay. It was, oh, oh like, we think like this part, you just call someone gay. And it's like, you're making fun of this kid. It was like when we were 12, you would just, someone would just be called gay for no fucking reason. And people would be, oh, I'm sorry for swearing. So it's much, okay. But, um, you could do it. <laughs> it was like, it was so clearly just coming from a personal place of projection for mm-hmm. me. Personally, I remember I would only ever, like my thought process, I remember, I can see it in my head. If I call him gay, they won't think I'm gay. Because mm. if I call him gay, that means I hate gay people. And why would I hate myself? And and this is what, I, as a 12-year-old, I thought. And I remember clearly, had, like, thinking, 
like, oh, I'm feminine. I have longer hair. People mistake me as a girl. I need to overtly act as though I'm not feminine mm-hmm. or not gay. And so I would go out of my way to make fun mm-hmm. of other people and be an asshole just to put other people down to bring myself up. And that is whether or not people want to admit it, that is how bigots feel. Yeah, you, People aren't bigots because they genuinely care about the uh, the uh, the immutable characteristics of another person. Right. They care about their own characteristics that they can't change, and they're projecting it onto other people. And that's how I felt. And imagine, I was able to reflect on that and change. Imagine the amount of people who still have that child brain thinking that exact same way walking around today who feel like that. And that is so clearly what's and who are going fi- on. And who are 50-year-old men. That is so clearly <laughs> right. what's going on. Because yeah. if, if, you, if you try to do any sort of logic discussion with them, you realize they have no logic, they have no motivation, they have no purpose. There's no reason they're doing anything. They won't talk about it. And so you have to begin to realize that it's coming from inside them. It's not this exterior uh, uh, bigots transphobes, homophobes, racist people, they all want to make it seem as though there's this outside something changing something that is making them have to act. Mm-hmm. When in reality, nothing is changing or everything is always changing, of course. But in that context, it is them that is uncomfortable with everyone else. And, and they're trying to like vent about it. Right. And that's why people like you and I who are – I like to think I'm confident in myself. I'm not too concerned on – I don't really care which way people perceive me, male or female. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And once I came to that realization of people who know me, who I like to be around and who like to be around me will always respect me and will always see me as who I see myself and who they want to see me as. And so it doesn't matter what everyone else does, sees. And I think people like you and I understand that and that we have people like each other, uh, family, to validate each other. And mm-hmm. that's really what you need. And so we don't have to unleash on other people. And yeah. I, 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 I like – I'm embarrassed <laughs> my past self. Like I beat my – like – even if it would send me to jail, I would beat the shit out of that little kid. I'm sorry. Like, I hate I hate who I used to be. It was no. not good. Um, but I'm very happy that I was able to become who I – who a uh, person who I like to look in the mirror at. Like, when what I was you- in high school, I was in, I didn't like looking in the mirror. When I look in the mirror now, I'm like – I don't notice flaws. I'm like, oh, I like how I look today. And I think it's this – once you – it's more than just what I'm. Th- it's a whole bigger thing of just so do self confidence. So then, like. do you do you know then as you look back, do, was there was it sort of subtle and over time that you changed, oh, yeah. or was there something specific? Because I'm wondering, like, what kind of advice can we give? I don't know anybody out there, either a man your age or a mom of a man your age or other podcasts or like how, like how is there anything we can do, you know, because those insecurities are so easily exploitable, exploitive by people who are just, you know, want to make money off of hate. So this might sound weird and, and, and 
contradictory, but I really think to get to that point, you have to see yourself as a disappointment. You have to be okay. disappointed in yourself in order to mm. move on. What What is a problem is these people are so, and by these people, I mean um, people who are very unwilling to self-reflect, people who are yeah. always a hair trigger away from taking it out on everyone but themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so a huge problem with people like that, especially ones that I've met, is they are completely unwilling to admit that they have done anything wrong. Right. And the way I was able to realize my behaviors were not good for a functioning human being, not healthy, I had to see myself as like this kind of just like pile of shit who's just okay. like just this meaningless waste who is doing nothing for himself or anyone else and and i i just remember just it and it wasn't a moment it'd be ridiculous okay. for me to look back and pretend like i had this like like this lucid sentience as a child i didn't it took years but looking back on it now it's a lot easier to like turn five years into one thought mm -hmm. and it, it just <laughs> there's this moment of you'll you realize after i think i began to gradually change unconsciously at first mm -hmm. which is i'm trying to come up with like a strategy advice on how to trigger this but it's really it's hard because for me looking back i can't like say this is what you do right for me it happened I, I didn't do it on purpose. I, right. I, it initiated itself. Would you say, um, would you say one day you just kind of got sick of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's the thing. I began to uh, slowly change from like seventh to eighth grade or whatever. I began to mature and stop saying like stupid jokes and stuff. And I, I began to really hate the way other people saw me. Mm. And I think that, I was not mature enough or confident enough to hate my to see myself as a disappointment at the time. Right. But seeing this caricature that everyone else knew as me kind of allowed me to see myself outside of myself. Mm. And not everyone gets that. Mm -mm. I was kind of the class clown, so everyone knew me and they knew my sister, they knew Rachel, and they knew that she was like really popular, good at sports, and I was the complete opposite. And I think being able to like see that gave me an advantage because I was able to go, oh, I don't like that without acknowledging that's me. Because at first I was kind of like, oh, that's just what they think. But over time, when I got to high school and the teachers stopped. You really changed. When they yeah. stopped suspending me for swearing and, right. and like, you know, getting up in class and walking around, when they started treating me like an adult mm. and I realized that. I was acting out of anger and like backlash mm -hmm. before because of the right. way they were punishing me. And I realized that, no, that's not the way they just saw me. That's how I was. Mm -hmm. And I, that allowed me to then take that moment and go, wow, I don't but, like who I am. Instead and you, of going, I don't like how I was, I was able to acknowledge that's who I am. And then I was and I also, gone from there. But also, I think something key that you were able to do is you were able to observe, you were able to detach from this caricature. You're able to like personify it because when you're drowning in it, you can't tell the difference. You can't discern the way that you were able to discern. So there's something about you that you were able to 
to, oh, this is the way they see me. Oh, I'm that's not me. They're not being fair to then like, oh, what do I look like from afar? And then you were able to see you from afar. It's and then kind of the five stages of grief, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I denial. Like a... and what What is it? Denial, anger, rejection, um, I'm Ex- acceptance. Except for getting all sadness. Of them, but, but yeah. It, yeah. Sadness. It was this. No, whatever. And then, oh, I'm mad at that. They think I'm like that. And then it was kind of this kind of like this maybe moment of rec- right, reckoning right. of like humility where like uh, i love it I maybe i, I was it. like that and then I, and then it made me sad that i felt that mm. i was like that and that people oh. thought and obviously i'm making it sound like this was an intentional thing it was really unconscious it, it, it was me making conscious decisions based off of unconscious feelings and also and also i sh- we should add that you did have some difficult situations with being being targeted and being overly suspended and referred yeah, and by it, the and it, school yes yeah so i so, feel like i really wasn't bullied if anything it was by the school <laughs> absolutely yeah so okay so let's move on to another topic that you're really passionate about which Actually, should, mm-hmm, i just want to say yeah i have to say i was never bullied i was like a <laughs> rat like a bad i was not like a good kid like when I was younger I should have been bullied but I never was and I just have to say I appreciate that about my generation is that there's something different about our generation where whenever I see a scene of like bullying where they're like throwing food at kids or like physically hurting kids I'm like I never like I don't mean to say to put this experience I went to like an uppity upper class like mostly white very like pretentious school so I'm sure it's not I'm sure it's an anachronism, but I just want to say, like, I, I'm proud of my generation for like, we don't really do bullying, per se. I mean, we do. Yeah. But I mean, looking back, I was ripe to be like that kid. And even, even the like special needs kids, there was, I I think there was a trans person in our grade. And even they really like, it was like, like murmuring. It was never like, like bullying. It was like, and just I, murmuring. I think also I viewed that among the students, even though there was that, you know, that kids are jerks to each other. There did seem no to doubt, be like, yeah. there did seem to be more acceptance of just people that are different, you know, yeah. like neurodivergent. And, and I, and I, you're right. It was really more coming from the teachers. And if you did not fit into that sort of framework, that mold and, you know, that kind of school district, then you know, and it, it was more about like dis- disrupting, you know, yeah. just being a disruptor. They did not like. It was how dare you like yeah. disrupt the, the system. Go to the we office. So, we have Go so to the carefully office. cultivated. Right. Yeah. But so. I mean, not to say that students were like, I think people made me cry all the time. They said really mean shit. But yeah. I, I never even even the people who who I was like personal enemies with, if we even did get into like uh confrontation i remember there's this one kid uh i'm not gonna say any names but he like stole shit out of my locker and i like threw a lock at his head and like made him bleed and i remember we ended up being friends like oh. kicking <laughs> shit, like like we we found solace in kicking balls onto the roof together pissing the teachers off yeah and i'm like that's what i take away from that is not yeah. the not the bullying it's the the lack of it and i yeah. i think that if there was 
I don't have any lasting trauma from I can't remember anything mean anyone ever told me mm-hmm. from being younger and I just think that's important to yeah I don't know why I brought that up I like I'm just kind of I'm just kind of like happy about it it's just I, something that I appreciate I think there's something different about your generation in that way so okay so let's get to another topic that uh one that gets you fired up and generally I would say it has to do with economic systems so you know, capitalism and, and, uh, hoarding and billionaires and, and you have some pretty stringent opinions on, on that. And I have two little memories that, um, that I, I want to share during, um, the fall of 2020, I went into four months of despair and you and I were really getting fired up about things. And I had never felt that before. And I was like, I can't believe everything that I was fighting for in my 20s as an activist is like, it's being undone. And and you said this thing and I was like, oh my gosh. You said, mom, you've done it. You've been an activist already. It's our turn. And I was like, oh, well, that is true. And thank you. But I still think I have to come out of the <laughs> closet of retirement as an activist anyway to help save the world. And then the other thing that you said is that you, you know, you and I started um, talking about core beliefs around, um, you know, just core beliefs. And, and you said, Mom, if that's really what you believe, you're a leftist, you're not a liberal. I remember and I, that. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, I guess you're right. And then you started me off on this whole other path. Because, because when you're in it, and you're when the generation, you sometimes don't notice the subtle shift, for example, from like, liberal, what used to be liberal to neoliberal, which isn't that different from conservatives, et cetera. So, so anyway, so just, you know, I love your thoughts about, um, I don't know. I just love our conversations about like, what is really the role of an economy? Is it really to like, just empower a small number of people to have as much money as possible that they're never, ever even going to spend. And then to like, like, why is like, there are just certain things that don't make sense to be, uh, to have a framework that has to do with profit. Like taking care of sick people is not a profit-making venture. Educating people is not a profit-making venture. In order to make it profitable, you actually have to then ignore really sick people or people who can't afford to buy. So then it becomes a privilege thing. So, you know, I just like wherever you want to sort of go with, um, you know, either what you're hoping is going to happen, um, or what you'd like to see, or just your feelings, just whatever you want to share there. Well, first, I want to hit on something you said, the the role of an economy, I think that's an interesting way to put it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's indicative of this inherent American understanding of the economy doesn't have a role to play. It doesn't exist. It is a res- it is a collection of consequences of running a barter and trade system. It, and can it, I can I quick share like just a little yeah. mini story to like just explain to people what I'm because this is how my brain works. This is how your brain works. So this was probably about 15 years ago, and your dad and I were out someplace. I think we were at Oktoberfest or something, and and I I we were talking about like how it seemed that, uh, that there was like a Prozac epidemic, like everybody was on Prozac. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And your dad said this thing, he goes, well, it's good for the economy. (laughs) And I went, that's awesome. I was beside (laughs) myself. And I said, but what (sighs) is the role of the economy? Is it really just to generate 
you know, jobs and money. Economics major. You can't, you got it. You got to let him have one. But I, and I exhausted your dad with questions like that. He's like, I don't want to really talk about it. So, but anyway, but this is what I'm talking about where people are like, oh, well, that's good for the economy. Or like right now, like everybody is this, you know, Biden is like, oh, we have the lowest unemployment. Well, that doesn't mean anything. What does good for the economy mean, right? That's right, exactly. What do you mean good for the economy? Like why, who Like who is this economy person? (laughs) Who cares? Why isn't it good for the country? Like who cares about the economy? This is what, and this is like something as, obviously I don't, I don't have any money or any value of anything that's not attached to you guys. So I, I don't have anything in the stock market, but neither does like, 75% of the country. So it's, what is saying it's good for the economy mean? Nothing. It means nothing. It means it's good for billionaires, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And and obviously, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not dumb. Like, if the economy collapses, I'm not gonna sit here, like, pretending like like there's gonna be some socialist revolution. No, no, no. When that happens, it gets even worse, not better. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have no misunderstand. I'm not, rooting for the end of the country or anything i just think it's important to understand that we have allowed this concept of the economy to be so decentralized and in in the hands of people who are so uncaring of what happens to our country it has become that our country is dependent on this this like indicator this uh like essentially guess and it just blows my mind because if it really is just a big uh, casino um, that covered in a bunch of fancy ec- economist terms to cover up what is essentially um, guessing and betting. <laughs> and I just, I, ju- I just find it really um, interesting um, the way that it, the economy is talked about in this country mm-hmm. because the economy, the economy, this, it's like – um, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be saying the economy, right. like it's, it's this, it's more like who is the separate entity, right? Who is the economy working for? Because the economy is a system, like you said. And so, for example, one of the things that really bothers me is we all know there are, there is this whole segment of the population that is considered working poor. They're not poor because they're not working. They're poor despite they're working. And so when somebody brags that this is the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, that means nothing to me. That means nothing. What? Okay. So the, so does that mean that it doesn't it's, include undocumented people either? Well, right. And does that mean it's okay that a family of four, like the mother and father each have two jobs? Like, yay, the unemployment rate is low. Let's well, you celebrate. know what a conservative would say. Yes, that is good. Well, right. That's what they want to see. Because you want to get as much as you can. You want to bleed somebody and pay them the least amount yeah, of money that they'll take. Yeah. I think also, I was kind of running in circles, but the, the idea of the economy um in other countries like you don't hear about other countries talking about their their economy so much because because they actually have functioning countries that aren't like tape held together with bits of tape and bubble gum or right like are why is it that every one year news cycle there's this like uh chiron of economy collapsing like how come every year there's a new thing that is going to cause the end of the country and no other country experiences this isn't right. it doesn't that make you think like 
maybe this isn't sustainable to have our entire country right. interconnected and it thrown around like a political football. Right. Like, doesn't that sound like a bad and, idea? And the other thing that just one more thing I want to add is that uh, often we think like this, it's good that we have the largest philanthropic uh, like sector in the world. And then one day I remember thinking, oh, the reason what does that, that mean? The, the, the purpose for a nonprofit is actually to fill the gap that's left by failing policies. So yay, we yeah. have strong nonprofits yeah. because we have failing policies. And that completely like shifted my my thinking about like, no, this is actually not good. We have to like have this patchwork of of people who are overworked to go beg from other millionaires to actually fill in the gaps and make sure people aren't starving to death because our policies are are not in are not adequate. Yeah, it's um it's reverse it's reverse socialism, right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 um privatizing the gains and socializing the losses. Yes. That's the entire point of the economy and the capitalist system. Why right. do you think it's people like you and I who pay, who foot the fucking bill for, sorry, who foot the bill to go search for these bozos who wanted to go float around in a tin can under the ocean? I'm talking about the submersible. Mm -hmm. Why is it the taxpayers that fund that, but but they they don't have any responsibility to 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 fund anything it's it's it, that's exactly what it is it's right. that guy understood the risks and he took them and the losses are being socialized onto right. the public because he's a billionaire and they have more privileges mm -hmm. and they are seen as a protected class right and by protected i don't mean marginalized i just mean they are just protected Right. Well, because it's they have protection. Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's the same with in, in in the 80s and 90s. We used to call it corporate welfare. So it's like, yeah, you know, we paid taxpayers uh, footed the bill for a lot of the research for covid. But yet we're not sharing, you know, but those formulas. Yeah. yeah, we're not sharing those. For and then we get price gouged as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all of that. So so anyway, yeah. that go ahead. I just want to wrap that up. If you every single thing we just talked about comes down to one issue, and I'm not simplifying it, mm -hmm. it is literally just the fact that the profit motive is a ridiculous, silly, and damaging concept that needs to be eradicated as quickly as possible. Like, who the hell does the profit motive benefit? It 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 is literally it is like mathematically the worst way to approach that system. It's like, I just can't, like, that always drives me crazy. It's like, what's the point of a healthcare company, right? Mm -hmm. You would say to provide healthcare and prevent right? major illness. And, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what is the point of a restaurant to? To serve good food? No, it's to make money, mom, obviously. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, every like, and and that's what's so ridiculous, right? If you ask any capitalist, what's the point of company X? Oh, to make a blank product. That's not true. It, it, the, in America, the point of every single absolutely. company is to make as much money as they can fit in their pockets and to keep making more and to never make any less. Well, and, and I, that is the point. And, and they have no other motive not to not to make a good product, not to help the society, not to help anyone but themselves. And that is so damaging to a country. But sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and maybe I'm naive and believing that there, you know, there used to be more 
maybe it was just pretending, but there used to be more like, okay, if we actually design a product that is in need, and then we hire and pay good workers, so they make a quality product, then we will end up getting a good return on an investment. And I remember when I graduated from Marquette, a Jesuit university, and two years later, um, I had an intern for Marquette in the business school, and they had changed so much. And he told me one day, he goes, no, 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 no. The, the, the role of a company is to, um, shareholders. It, yeah. And I went, no, it's not. It's customer employees, investors community. And he's like, no, no, no. They're teaching us that. No, no, no. The sole, the sole role of a company and a corporation is to make money for investors. And I thought, whoa, this from my Catholic Jesuit university. Wow. I just have interject before mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah. I just want to say the companies that, that built America lost money. They lost money. They would lose money on products the, like car companies would put out unsuccessful cars. That would happen all the time. Nowadays, they don't even try. If if it if it doesn't mm. guarantee to make them money, they don't even try. And that if you think that mm. encourages innovation, no. I, you're right. There was it wasn't just pretending. And and I think this is something conservatives and Republicans and capitalists would agree with me on is is outsourcing our labor has removed the opportunity for us to be proud in our in our national products and our national industry because it's all made in China now. How are we supposed to be proud? Like, yeah, Apple is a, an American company, but we don't make any of their fucking products. That we don't. All we do is sell them. Uh, uh, all we do is have the CEO. Like, I mean, back in the day, GM, all these like, like, like we invented the airplane. Like stuff like that, we could mm-hmm. be proud of. But now it's all outsourced and 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 owned by this interconnected web of conglomerates that so it's, has nothing to do with us so it's as not, people. It's not like an American effort or no. like a collective effort where everybody's valued and plays their role in exactly in a, in the idea. There's an idea generation, and then there's talent, and we value the talent, and then exactly. people are excited about it. Yeah, those American minds coming up with American ideas yeah. and American hands building those ideas, right. and that was something we could be proud of, and that was something we could sacrifice profit for, but we've gone back on that and instead of like we we don't have any opportunities to do that anymore and i think it's this feedback loop of people don't aren't proud in the work they do because they don't they don't know what they do anymore it's so convoluted and outsourced that you know you're working for uh, a contra- uh, like a consulting agency that's owned by a conglomerate that's owned by another conglomerate that's owned by a US company that's owned by another company in Japan and it's like I, you can't even follow the line anymore and it's like so there's that- no sense of there is no sense of collective or community yeah, yeah. exactly and, yeah. and i think that has allowed it to become so bad to the point where no one really knows what they do anymore and and no one really is proud about what they do anymore and also they understand how bad the system is and also the people way up here are so detached from reality that they become immoral exactly their decisions truly are immoral you can't make it to that position without being immoral right like and or like being in therapy for 
you know, the role that you're playing in the mess. So <laughs> yeah, I think most of those people are sociopaths. Like you can't, you be almost CEO. would have to be right. <laughs> you have to like, unless you're so ignorant of what's going on, yeah. like you just don't, you genuinely have no idea. Like maybe like someone like aunt Chrissy, right. Who is like, I could see just being like told like, like she would like she's just happy to do a job mm -hmm. like and not fully under you know because she uh, um you know what i'm saying like the type yeah. of person who's just happy to do a job yes. like i could see that but like if you knew what was going on like there's some ceos where i can tell like oh they just like they they they're in way over their head and then there's some ceos yeah. where you just there's just a blank stare oh, on their face right there's like, like no soul like, in there what's the starbucks guy <laughs> like like oh, there's right. there's a difference between like a CEO of like a small company and yes. like these these soulless vessels that <laughs> occupy like like Mark Zuckerberg and people like them <laughs> and it's like um I don't know where I'm going with this but there's you have to be a very particular type of person either completely unaware of what's going yeah. on or uncaring and there's really no yeah. uh, other way around it but yeah I yeah. do think it's interesting that at the end of the day, I, I'm just a huge, the profit motives got to go. Why does it exist? It helps no one. It hurts everyone. And why, and why can't we talk about alternatives? Why can't, yeah. why is that so taboo? Why, like, why, why is there this idea? Like there's only, there's only, there's the almost like a religious, there's almost a religious righteousness about well, it. it because, there is in the definition. And it basically is a religion because all statistics and science points to one thing and they believe the other in all opposition just yeah. for no reason other than they like it. Right. They like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They like seeing the green arrows go up in the percentages and the uh, watching the stock app on their phone. It's like there's like nerds like who do this stuff, who enjoy right. it. But it's and, like and, that, and then they and then if they have to walk by a homeless person, they're like, oh, I don't like that. Get that out of my way. Yeah, like, sweep, sweep those people. Yeah. Away. Like, how dare you occupy this, the public space? It, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is kind of like a real life dystopian movie i mean well yeah and and that's what i think people don't understand is you don't need dystopia to be fiction it's all around you like yeah. just look around like i mean i i saw someone i don't mean to like harp on the submarine thing again it's just kind of cogent but yeah um i saw someone posting there are people like one out of th i think it was like one out of three cancer like don't quote me on this i don't want to be wrong i'm just i think i saw a statistic where it was like one out of three cancer patients dies because they can't continue to oh afford God. paying for their uh treatment and there's billions of dollars being spent looking for these dicks in the tube underwater like i was talking about what that they knew were dead the fucking second it happened oh and there's people dying from cancer on the street. There's people starving to death. There's people drinking it themselves is like to a, death. And we're, weird and we're like, there's this whole spectacle on the news of these people in the submarine. And it's like, I can't help but like be insanely upset about that. Like, yeah. I go outside and I see homeless people. It's like, why isn't that on the news? Why aren't you right. spending money on that? Like, yeah. why are these billionaires allowed to do that? And yeah. it's like... I don't know, but I, I feel bad for that, that. I couldn't help but relate with that kid who was on there, the 19-year-old who didn't want to go. I'm mm. like, I, I'm like, for, if dad asked me to go on that, I would I would have been like, hell, hell no. Fuck fathers. <laughs> hey, no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. 
I you yeah. couldn't get me to go in that mm -hmm. if you if you forced me to. I would yeah. just rather die. And yeah. I just couldn't help but you know like relate to that. So it, it is sad, but I also think it is a very um, shockingly perfect example of how insane the like wealth the disparity between uh um or what's the what's the yeah. term for it the wealth just, gap yeah yeah i i just think it's a great example of that and how i don't think a lot of people i'm not against rich people right i i like mansions i like cool cars and fast boats everyone does but you know what you don't need to have that a billion dollars you can right. buy anything you ever want if you have a hundred million dollars you could buy anything you'd ever dream of for $10 million, unless you're a psychopath. <laughs> right, right. But it's like, I don't think a lot of people understand the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. It's unfathomable. Yeah. Your brain literally does not have the facilities to show you that difference. Right. And I, I just think people don't really understand how ridiculous it is to have a billion dollars. And the what you can't spend that on the mm -hmm. fact that you can never and just the idea that you shouldn't have that much money and i i, I just there's so many people who defend that for it, no it's poor people people who have who struggle to pay their rent will defend them and i'm like i just it makes me so upset because i'm like i know it's like like how can't you see that that i'm i'm sorry like this is my favorite thing to talk to a capitalist about because it's like so if making you a sandwich is worth $15 an hour, what doing what task is worth $100 an hour to you? Okay, now what task is worth $1,000 an hour to you? Okay, now what task is worth a billion dollars? There is nothing, nothing you could do as a single person to create that much value except steal it from other people. Yeah. There is it doesn't and, and matter. It doesn't matter. Sorry, go ahead. And it's the system that allows that. It's yes. tax policy. They're it's not, not you didn't it. do that. They're not earning it. They're right. funneling it from other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off if you no. had more to add. No, that's I just, that's okay. Go ahead. I just wanted to say like the, this idea that you could earn a billion dollars is so ridiculous because you can't. If it's possible to make fifteen dollars an hour. It can't be possible to make enough to be a billionaire because there is not enough variety of things that a human can do with their hands that is that different. You could go find the biggest diamond on planet Earth and mine it with your hands and you wouldn't make a billion dollars. Right. There is nothing you can do to make that much yeah. value. And I, and I think the idea of what a person should be making is what they put into society. Like, yeah. Someone who works well, at McDonald's should get paid how much money people pay them. Right. Like well, it's, it's simple. Actually, and then we'll, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't have left this for the last question because it's <laughs> the one you're fired up about. We'll have to have another conversation. We can keep but, going. I don't but have a there, time limit. Well, I kind of do with my interviews, oh, okay. but we'll have another conversation another time because I think there's more to talk about. And Absolutely. I, and I love your thoughts. And, but I did uh, interview. I learned this from my uh, depth psychology colleague that the root and the origins of the corporation was to serve the community. It was to be, as a community grew, the corporation was to bring efficiency in order to meet the needs of the community. 
it wasn't really about profit. And so and our relationship with the, you know, with the corporation has changed. And I think until we start to take ownership and accountability for what we have projected onto the corporate entity, um, that, you know what I mean? That's part of what has to happen, a kind of consciousness raising that is new. So I, I think a good example is, uh, someone like grandpa, uh, dad's dad mm-hmm. um i don't say any names just for an anonymity but um we have grandparents in, in kohler who worked with the kohler company for like 50 years and they still live there that doesn't happen anymore you don't have companies that like provide that anymore like they that would they work the the, the equivalent of like middle income jobs nice house plenty of kids like plenty of disposable income Mm -hmm. they didn't have they never got fired their company would give them raises that doesn't exist anymore well they they refer to that as like the social unspoken social contracts that used to exist that doesn't exist anymore and the corporations have gone back on that while the people haven't we still work for them and provide them our labor but they do not provide for us and there has to be come i don't like i'm not going full marxist here but there has to be be a moment where the people take that back because they don't have corporations without the workers right. and that's where like um organization unionization comes in i know you're a huge fan of that but mm-hmm. it's like it's coming to a boiling point where you can't you can't keep exploiting people to this point. Something's going to break. And yeah. I, I feel like it's going to happen soon because will. even 50 years ago, like um, sooner, but um, you, you'd, you'd find a job. Um, even if you didn't have any higher education, you'd find a job. They'd mentor you and teach you yeah. and promote you. And now you make a living. Yep. Now, uh, even me with a college degree, I've applied for like 20 companies and none of them even consider me. Back in the day, you got a job. They would teach you and help you become what they wanted you to be. Now mm-hmm. it's if you're not exactly what we want you to be and above and beyond before we hire you, you're not even being considered. And <clears throat> I think I have a very particular perspective on this because i've been told my whole life oh it's gonna be so easy to get a job you have such a good degree everyone's hiring and it's just not the case it's bs whatsoever. rachel's it's experiencing yes rachel's experiencing it too she's a everyone for i know jobs. Yeah. everyone i know smart people talented people passionate people can't find jobs and yeah. it's it's not because it's not because we don't want to work. That is such a ridiculous notion. Yeah. And I, I just feel like there's very, there, there's like a boiling point yeah. happening where it's. All right. So, yeah, I, this is a good place to end, I think, on that okay. note. So, um, so I guess the, uh, I guess maybe the one thing that maybe just a parting thought is that, you know, your generation is not only sort of coming of age during this clear climaxing and clashing and dismantling and chaos and, and, and the potential end of our our species. And so there's like, you, you guys are different. And there's also this anxiety because what needs to happen 
there needs to be a transition, a transcendence from what is not working. It's the climax of exploitive systems, but we don't know what to create, right? So there's this 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 unknown, I think that's creating a lot of anxiety. And at the same time, you're being demonized by the capitalists and the boomers who have gotten theirs as, you know, you're wrecking our economy, you're, you know, you don't want to work, you, you know, and so there is a lot of mental health issues in your generation, you know, there's epidemics of depression and ADHD, and we don't even really know, you know, what all the causes of that and um, paralysis. And I talked to a lot of moms of especially young men who are like, it, it It does make sense how easily, you know, people in your generation could be exploited because there is this anxiety about what I don't want to participate in this corrupt system, but I still have to carve out my place in the world while I'm creating something else. So just any parting thoughts you have about sort of that, just, you know, helping people understand what it feels like to be you and your generation. Yeah, I think a lot of older people have a very particular caricature of what someone like my age is. Mm -hmm. And I just, we're no different than anyone else, any other generation used to be. The only thing that's changed is the context we're living in, Mm -hmm. um, which, by the way, they made um, for us. So any, um, I just, it's important to understand that we just want to, we just want to live. We just want to have a life. We want to be able to wear what we want. We want to be able to love who we love. We want to be able to read the books we want to read. We want to be able to go to a school that will actually teach us the truth. I I don't think people really understand what we want, and they just dictate it for us Mm -hmm. to whatever fits their own uh, stupid narrative, Um, which a lot of the times is this idea that we're lazy and that we – are defeatists and doomers who are just giving up and oh just because you're fighting back that's all and it's like and it's like yeah if you served me up a steaming hot pile of shit i'm not going to be smiling about it sure like don't expect (laughs) me to be grateful for the awful like wreck of a society you you left for us and it's like not you you're not you're gen x you guys did a good job um (laughs) you guys started picking up the pieces early um (laughs) but i just think it's important for i think a lot of people uh older people feel attacked when they hear Mm. people like me speaking like this and good they should i they really should because they need to realize that it is their fault they need to stop pretending like they aren't the problem that let putting lead in the gasoline was a horrible idea that like ruined countless generations of people who did that not my generation so i mean it is important for people to take responsibility for what their generation did and Mm -hmm. we haven't had enough time to ruin the planet yet so maybe we will maybe we won't but you guys are not you guys um you know what i'm saying but it's yeah. like i just feel like a lot of older people are so unwilling to take responsibility and and not everyone ha- not everyone has personally done it but right. i'm not saying take personal responsibility no. i'm saying take responsibility for your generation and acknowledge what happened and it's right. like and it's like right and what and there's nothing wrong with saying hey no. let's do better man 
No, it's the same thing as yeah. me being a kid acknowledging that right. I'm the problem and I need to change to make right. things better. And it's right. like, you guys don't have to, you boomers, older people don't have to resist with all of their might to what we want. They could just help us. Right. Oh, you know, oh that's a, when, when that. we, when we want to make our planet a better place, they don't have to be upset and spiteful that they did it. They don't have to be embarrassed about it and spiteful. Right. They could help. help us clean. They yeah. could help us be stewards of the natural world. Yeah. They don't have to be so spiteful about it. And in reaction to us, you know, hugging a tree, opening up a new oil field, you don't need to do that. You could just help us. And right. I, I just think it's, I just want older people to understand like, yeah, we are mad at you. Of course we are. And we have a right to, and you have no right to be upset about it. And the fact that you are pretending to be upset about it is more indicative of your unwillingness to help anyone but yourself than anything else. And yeah. I'm not, I'm, of course, I'm generalizing because yes. it's hard to talk about a group of people right. like that. But yes. in general, you know, people like dad, they're very different and understanding and would not, you know, he doesn't react. Um, I feel like so many older people are reactionaries and they don't, they don't act out of any purpose other than and, reacting and to us. And instead of, they could just be curious or helpful, right? Or like, helpful, or, yeah. or do nothing or yeah. just watch, but they, they take it, they take it upon themselves to roadblock us at every turn they get that they, they want. It doesn't matter what it is. If we want it, it's bad, and they want to stop it. And it's like it doesn't matter if it's accepting our our uh, like uh, trans and queer uh, brothers and sisters or or people of any color. It doesn't matter if it's just being more accepting or or wanting to preserve the environment or hell, just wanting to. Um, you listen to different music. Literally, mm -hmm. literally, name a thing. It's all reactions. Rap music, older people, yeah, it's not music. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all just a reaction of disliking and disdain towards the younger generation because we are able to do new things that they yeah. aren't able to do. We are they're, able to start cultural they're just, movements. They're just mad at themselves. Exactly. It's, it's a projection. Exactly. So, th so this, is a, this is a good place to end. And I, I really like... I really like your message of, you know what, just help us. Yeah. Can I like, add one, one more yes. thing too? Yeah. And I don't, I mean, any, ma I don't automatically have any malice towards older no, people. No, you're it a is, polite person. No, it is always, I'm always, a person's actions are the only thing that matters to me. Mm -hmm. And, but I do think it, you can look at the collective actions of that generation and see a shocking, like, antagonism towards our like what we want to do has nothing to do with them but everything they do has to do with us right which i just think is just let us be us just like we don't want to hurt you we don't want anything to do with you we just want to be left alone right so either help us or don't but yes. don't, you don't have to actively antagonize right. us i just and want to make it clear that our generation doesn't hate older people right. they have just they're constantly being spit on and insulted by them so there's this initial it's like being a woman walking around in public if you're a younger person and you see an older person you just expect for them to mm. say some condescending shit mm. because it usually happens oh. and so it's not it's not it's a reaction out of like fear and like 
just yeah. you don't want to deal yeah. with these people because you assume they're going to act a certain right. way. But anyways, I just want to make it clear that no. our generation doesn't hate older people, which they seem to think. I, it's I, it's them giving us reasons to talk about them in a bad manner. I think that's a great, respectful message from you. And for my listeners, um, I'm going to put a link to a blog post I wrote uh, called uh, what is Generation Z mirroring back to us, which is really getting at this. So thank you, William. Of course. Thanks for having me. For a conversation full of depth and allowing me to show you off to the world as a Gen Z human being whose hands I'm willing to put the fate of the world in. Along and with I your, appreciate that. Along with your sisters. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with William, my son, and a Generation Z human being who's kind and whose frustration I appreciate. <laughs> Until next time. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and you are listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. To get updates on new episodes, my writing, and how I teach my clients to get to know that deeper part of themselves, go to DebraLukovich.com. Oh, and if you're not ready for a coach, learn what my clients know in my book, Your Soul is Talking. Are you listening? Five steps to uncovering your hidden purpose. You can check it out on my website or get it on Amazon.